Welcome to the Belfry Summer Sunday Extended Talk Series, a season of talks taking the themes of our Summer Sunday gatherings and exploring them in a deeper way. Before listening to the talk from this week, let's take a moment to turn our attention to God. Lord, help us to bring together our scattered thoughts, our busy lives, and our repetitive routines. Help us now to fix our minds on you, to be aware of your presence in us. We take time now to hear about you. Holy Spirit, inspire us today as we hear from your word. We prepare our hearts now. Let's take the rest of this time to stop, breathe, and be expectant as we hear from God's word. Amen. of you who don't know me my name is Emma and I have the great privilege of being the assistant children and families worker here at the Belfry. If you're not familiar with our slightly different summer setup then welcome we still have an all-age online service available for you to check out if you haven't already but alongside that we have these extended talks for those people who'd like to delve a little deeper into the passage. It's a great privilege to be able to speak to you today and to continue our series on the unsung heroes of the Bible, the best supporting actors and actresses. This week it's Hannah and I would love to start by praying before I read the passage which can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 9 to 28. So before we start, let's pray. Loving God, would you give us ears to hear and open our hearts to the message you want to share with us today. Would my words be of you and for you? And would we know your presence, your peace, and your plan for us all today? Amen. So, the reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 9 to 28. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something 
and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfil his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ether of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I was preparing for this talk, I was genuinely overwhelmed by the power and the challenges that we find in Hannah's story. I love her character and her narrative but there is so much to unpack in this passage that I just don't have the time or the expertise to go into. We see in these few verses alone a story of of infertility, of unanswered prayer, of negotiating marriage and tensions and difficult dynamics, of emotional distress and even the sacrifice of giving over a child. It has a happy ending, But it's not an easy read and I realise any single one of those things comes with a whole plethora of complicated discussions and feelings that we will each respond to differently depending on our own experiences and hurts. However, I really want to encourage you to see them all through this single lens that God is good. However you read between the lines of these words, remember that God is good And ultimately, when life doesn't seem good or choices don't seem good or the answers to our prayers don't seem good, come back to that singular truth that God is good. Now, there are three points that I'd love to draw out from Hannah's story today and focus on so we can hopefully see why we want to celebrate her as an unsung hero of the Bible. We're going to look at her experience of pressure, of prayer and of promises It's three Ps, so hopefully it will be easy for us to remember. So as a bit of context to Hannah and her story, Hannah is married to Elkanah, who is also married to Peninnah. It's the stuff of EastEnders relationship drama. But in all seriousness, it's perhaps a more controversial and alien notion in our culture today to be married to multiple people, but it wasn't wholly unheard of in Hannah's day. One commentary from the Bible Speaks Today series says that although um, polygamy would not have been common in Israel, it wouldn't have been unusual for a wealthy man to take a second wife if his first wife couldn't bear him an heir. 
This tells us something about the social status of the couple, as well as the dynamic between Hannah and her husband and his second wife, who had borne children to him, and this pressure that she faced as his beloved but childless wife. Becoming a mother, bearing a child, continuing the family name and likely business was part of the social and cultural norm of the time. And so we can assume that Hannah was dealing with the weight of not physically being able to fulfil that expectation. Not only that, but just a few verses before our passage started today in verses six and seven, we read, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. This is heartbreaking. Hannah's not only processing the pain of childlessness and the as yet unanswered prayer to God for a child after year and year, but moreover, she's mercilessly taunted by her husband's other wife, the mother of his children. I don't pretend this isn't hard, complicated, painful stuff, especially if this is a pain akin to something you've experienced yourself. But please know you aren't alone. God's plans and timing often remain a mystery to us all until they come into fruition, as it were, frustrating as that may sometimes be. But just remember that lens. God is good. Now, this same level of pressure to procreate may not exist today, but there are still echoes of it in our culture even now and may still be the case in some cultures more prominently. I am not in any way comparing myself to Hannah's trauma, but I was reminded of a time um, at Theological College when Mike and I were newly married just a few months into marriage um, and we just relocated cities to train for ordination. Understandably, there were a lot of getting to know you conversations and meet and greets happening, and so we repeatedly answered the questions, where have you moved from? Whereabouts are you living now? Which one of you is training? before we inevitably move to the next level of questioning, so do you have children? It's a fine question, but despite the fact we'd only been married for a few months, there was still this expectation, this assumption, that a pregnancy announcement was imminent and indeed inevitable. On one occasion, I specifically remember someone responding with, oh, but you will, there's something in the water here. Although I laughed it off at the time, possibly with a comment about being dehydrated for the next three years, it stayed with me. Those words, though not intended to be malicious, unlike Penanar's words to Hannah, were nonetheless loaded with assumptions about our fertility and our choice to have children. We didn't know it at the time, but my health has since become a factor in us not having children for now. And so to answer those questions sometimes has been a little bit uncomfortable. I wonder how many people asked Hannah this question and on how many occasions she left those conversations feeling sad and uncomfortable too. Words are powerful, we know this. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 16 verse 24 which says, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Now if this is true then so is the opposite. Cruel words are bitter, sour to the soul, and painful, harmful to the body. 
we need to be gentle and thoughtful in what we say to others and we need to be gentle and thoughtful in how we respond too. Now I'm aware for some of us this may not be the exact situation that we've faced but I'm sure it is a familiar experience to have had pressure placed on you by others because of an expectation of society. Although Hannah's story is 3,000 years old, its themes are not alien to those we still experience today. Perhaps it's an expected relationship status or a presumed job trajectory, a dress size or a career choice. Maybe it's harmful or thoughtless comments because of a physical or mental struggle that limits your daily routine that remains unseen by others. Whatever it is, we all handle these sorts of pressures differently. Perhaps we snap back with a ritty retort or use our voice to challenge social norms and expectations. Or maybe we stay silent and let the words of others eat away at us. I believe there is so much we can learn from Hannah and how she faces these pressures. She prays. Hannah turns her pain into prayer, as we see so many in the Bible do. However, there's something significant about her prayer. I don't know if you noticed, but in verses 13 and 14 of the passage, it said, Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Hannah's way of praying was not the conventional way. Eli was a priest. He was so used to seeing people come and pray. But in this instance, he assumed Hannah was drunk. Her silent yet passionate prayer wasn't what he was expecting. And so he assumed intoxication and not a deep love of the Lord was the reason for her actions. It's so reminiscent of the experience of the disciples in the first chapter in Acts at Pentecost, where we see Peter and the disciples accused of having had too much wine. In verse 15, Peter says, These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. It reminds us that fervent prayer can sometimes make us look a little unusual, to say the least. It's not always quiet and discreet prayer, but nor is it always loud and, dare I say, rowdy prayer. However, deep, passionate, raw prayer can invoke a reaction from those around us. In verse 15, Hannah says to Eli that she is pouring her soul out to the Lord. What extraordinary language. She's spilling all of her feelings, her worries, her thoughts, her hopes, her dreams over to God in the hopes that he will fill her back up with what she needs. Hannah reminds us we shouldn't feel we have to pray pretty prayers. We've really reflected on that a lot in this season as a church, as we appreciate all the more the joy of bringing our woes and our woos to God. Hannah's prayer isn't for show. It's not to look good or to be seen saying or doing the right thing. It's an outpouring of her deepest desire to become a mother and an honest request for the Lord to make it so. It's personal, not performance. Jesus reminds us Hannah's way is the right way to pray, right before he teaches the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, where he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
This doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray when we are with others or when we can be seen, but it's a stark reminder that God sees us, God knows us, God hears us, and he knows when we're speaking to his ears and when we're speaking for others' ears. Her prayer in these verses is genuine, it's raw and it's beautiful. It moved me that in just a few words, because of her honest, heartfelt response to Eli, she challenges him. Eli, a priest, assumes Hannah is drunk because of her manner, but realises that she hasn't lost her inhibitions because of liquor, but because of her love of the Lord, and he blesses her. Hannah's actions literally speak louder than her words. Our prayers can have that same impact today too. Our worship can have that same impact on others, not just on ourselves. What an incredible and powerful challenge for us as followers of Jesus to realise the difference we can make simply with a quiet, beautiful, honest relationship with God that others will see without us even knowing. Hannah's prayer is just one of the reasons I love her and why I'm so glad we can celebrate her story as an unsung hero of the faith. She brings her pain, her hope, her deepest desire to God. She also does what I'm sure so many of us have done, where she tries to bargain with the Lord. If you do this, then I will. I'm sure it's something many of us who have so deeply yearned for something have done. And now I'm not suggesting this is the reason her prayer is answered or that that is what we should or need to do with God. But it's such a real reflection of the relationship and the reason with and how we try to reason with God when we don't understand his will. She's turned her pressure into prayer and her prayer into a promise and promises with the Lord are significant. Hannah says that if God blesses her with a son, she will give him to the Lord all of his life, offer him to the Lord's service and never shave his head or cut his hair. Now, in today's culture, these words seem odd to say the least. To choose your child's vocation and hairstyle seems bold and arguably overbearing. But this isn't a parenting choice. This is trusting the Lord and his will completely. It's honouring the vows we find in the book of Numbers in chapter 6, where we see these promises are made as a way of making a special commitment and a dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, as we see with Samson and his famous locks in the book of Judges. Hannah's whole prayer here is ingrained with biblical understanding and faith that the Lord has provided before and he will do so again. It's a symbolic act of faith to make these promises to God. Hannah longs to experience motherhood and knows that if she's blessed with a child, she wants only the best for them. And she knows that God is the best, as Tina Turner would say. And so entrusting her child to the Lord's care for them to be raised in his house and learn every day from his word is the best start she could give her child. Now, I know it doesn't always happen this way, but Hannah's prayer is answered. She, in the way that she hoped as well, she conceives and she gives birth to Samuel, so named in acknowledgement of her asking the Lord for him. His name is a testament to God's faithfulness. Now, I really want to emphasise here that Hannah didn't bring Samuel into the world only to give him over to the temple. I know for some this may be a difficult story because of complex and complicated family dynamics and histories, 
but this is not Hannah stepping back from her role as a mother. We see in the next chapter, in chapter 2 verse 19, that Hannah made a robe for Samuel each year to give him when she and Elkanah went to the temple. Her care and love for Samuel are not in question here. She simply kept her promise to return to God what he had given to her. This may be difficult for us to hear. It's an uncomfortable truth to know that all we have is a gift from God. And so we're really just blessed caretakers of God's incredible generosity. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 14 reminds us of this, where we read, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. I was reminded of a story a friend once told me where he and his wife were visited by some missionaries from Brazil at their, at their church and they invited anyone who wanted to to come and join them on mission. He and his wife prayed about this and decided to join the couple that had visited the church on mission in Brazil along with some other members of their church. Now anyone who has been on um, or been involved in a mission knows there is a financial as well as an emotional cost to this. They realised it would cost a few thousand pounds each for them to go and so they set about saving and asking for donations towards the cost of the mission and they did so for about six months. They'd saved a good chunk of the money that they needed but then a few months before they were leaving both my friend and his wife separately felt prompted by God to give the money they had saved away to a very specific cause. Understandably, this was initially met with some confusion, some hesitation and indeed some frustration. Why would God ask them to give away the money that they'd raised for a mission that they felt God had called them to in the first place? It didn't make sense. And anyway, they'd worked hard for that money, saved hard for that money and asked their friends and family to contribute and support them with it. Surely it was their money now and why would God want them to give it away to somewhere else? Nevertheless, they were faithful and away the money went to the place God had individually placed on their hearts. They didn't tell anyone about this and quietly started saving again. But lo and behold, a couple of days later, a cheque was put through their letterbox for the exact amount of money that they'd given away. No one knew the amount they had given away except for them and the Lord. God provided. I love this story so much. God honoured their hearts and their obedience and their sacrifice and provided what they needed. Hannah does just this too. She gives back to God what he has already given to her. She promises to raise her son in knowledge and the love of God. As a godparent, as an auntie, as a fake auntie to many of my friends' children, my prayer is that they would all grow up knowing the love of God and how precious they are to him. I want them to grow up in God's house, as it were. Hannah just did that for Samuel, literally. The fulfilment of her promise in response to her answered prayer is beautiful. Hannah could have chosen to not follow through, to change her mind, to try and change the terms of the promise, but she doesn't. She recognises her blessings and how God has heard her and answered her. It is in her recognising God's kingship in her life incredible things happen. Mary knows something of Hannah's experience giving over Samuel in her raising of Jesus. 
She knew from before his miraculous conception in the New Testament that he was the Messiah, destined for service and sacrifice for the Lord. I can think of no better example of pain mingled with privilege than when she and Joseph present Jesus to the temple in Luke chapter 2 and meet Simeon, where we read, Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul as well. These words stayed with Mary. She knew she would suffer greatly because of her great love for Jesus, for her son. But what had to be done? Jesus' death on the cross and his rising in glory had to happen so that we may have eternal life. Sometimes the privilege of honouring and serving God in some way goes hand in hand with pain and the pain of giving up something that you love. It's a real challenge to love God more than all else and to let go of the things that we may deem most important in our day-to-day -day lives. Our relationships, our stuff and things, our jobs, our status, our homes, our situations. But with that sacrifice comes great joy and great provision because God is great. I wonder what it may be God is asking you to let go of in this season. We've found ourselves in an unprecedented time of some things being forcibly lost or taken away or distanced. And you may have found that there have been some things that have been easier to let go of than others. Or perhaps you've even given up something that maybe you shouldn't have. Perhaps for you, your prayer life has become rocky or relationships have been strained. Maybe workloads have taken over from your reading of the Bible. I wonder how, like Hannah, you've turned to prayer in this season, this time of lockdown life. I wonder if, like Hannah, you've tried bargaining with God and making promises of your own. If you do this, then I will. The reality is we don't need to bargain with God because ultimately he has plans for all of us anyway. It's just definitely an added bonus when those plans align with our own. Hannah's fulfilment of her promises brings Samuel to the temple and Samuel being raised in the temple leads him to becoming one of the greatest prophets of all time. And indeed, it's he who is chosen to anoint David as king. And as we know, it's from the line of David that Jesus, the Messiah, is born. Hannah may be best known for being Samuel's, the prophet's mum, but Hannah's role in the narrative of the Bible is so much more significant. And that's why we want to show her to be an unsung hero. What I want to say here is that I don't want to ring fence Hannah as Samuel's mum. I know some of my friends who are parents introduce themselves as so-and-so's mum or dad before anything else. And that's right, it's a huge part of their life and a huge part of who they are, but it isn't all they should be. As with Hannah, although her motherhood is of huge significance to her and her story, it is not her whole identity. I believe Hannah is able to give over Samuel to live and work in the temple because she knows that before she was Samuel's mother, she was and is a child of God. She is a mother, yes, but she's also a wife, 
a firm believer in God, a prayer warrior. She is persistent, she is a woman of her word, and she is bold in her faith. I don't know if you're struggling with your own identity today, particularly in this season, but I hope you know this. You are also a child of God. You may be a parent, yes, or a partner, an employee, an uncle or auntie, a godparent, a CEO, maybe an avid gardener or board gamer. Whatever you are, above else, all else, I hope you know, you are a child of God, precious and beloved. So as I close, may we be more like Hannah. May we turn our pressures into prayers and our prayers into promises. May we love the Lord with all our hearts, our souls, our bodies and our minds. May we know we are caretakers of creation and benefactors of God's grace and goodness. And may that grace and that goodness be sufficient for us all, this day and always. Amen. <laughs>